Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our board president, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program, where we'll be talking about the journey to the Broadway stage with some of the theater's newest and brightest stars. We'll be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. Often the road to Broadway is filled with triumphs and trials, temporary jobs, and the kindness of friends and family. But our guests today have not only weathered that journey, but achieved success on the stage by 30. Hello, I'm Pia Lindstrom for the American Theatre Wing, and joining us to share their experiences are some of the theater's newest and brightest stars. Ashley Brown from Mary Poppins, Jonathan Groff from Spring Awakening, Alison Pill from Mauritius, and John Lord Young from Jersey Boys. Welcome, kids. Thank you. <laughs> How old were you when you knew you wanted to do this? Uh, well, I've been, I started working in Toronto when I was 10, so oh. I've been going for like 10 years. Okay. So 10 years, there's some been dues paying, I suppose. Yeah. Over 10 <laughs> years of work and work that I'd like to forget. I'm, it's, very, I'm very, it's very gratifying to in New York doing here? theater. Yeah. Did you, what did you do in Toronto? You started, uh, how old were you when you first started I was like 10 acting? and 11. 10, and, and what did you do? Uh, I did um, TV movies, forgettable <laughs> movies, and, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, it was just constant work, and I was so pleased. I was constantly happy to be doing anything. John Lloyd, you had a little bit of a, a, you put in your seven years or something like that before you had this enormous success in Jersey Boys. What were some of the other things you had to do? Uh, I did, actually started acting when I was a little kid, just in, you know, a, a community theater and around the country. I, my father was in the Air Force, so I moved around a lot, and theater was sort of like a way to find family in a new environment. I lived in Nebraska and Alabama and upstate New York near Canada, uh, near Montreal. Um, and um, so had been doing it a lot and then got to New York and just, you know, busted my behind doing, <laughs> you know, off-Broadway off plays and storefront theaters on Ludlow Street, some regional productions and, you know, some children's theater all over the map. For high seven school? years. Did somebody do anything in high school? Were you in yeah. high school plays? And Definitely. Things? That was when I did my first musical. Was when I was when I was a freshman in high school. I was Tiger Lily and Peter Pan. <laughs> and oh, it was a really perfect. good moment. <laughs> did you see the Mary Martin version of that? Yes. Yeah, I used to watch that every day. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I never practiced that. I would practice that for hours, just leaning. Yeah. Yes. Well, my mom made my costume. Oh wow. Yeah. Were you in high school? In a, in Play in I high did, school? yeah, I did all my high school plays, all of them, yeah. I um, loved it. I loved it. Too. High school work? Um, no, I, I had, I went to a program for people with outside commitments. That's what it was called. <laughs> is that therapy um, or what is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was actually mostly athletes, so I was the freakish oh. actor, you know, among skiers and gymnasts, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I had no, <laughs> no idea how to connect with anybody. It was like a school full of jocks. Um, 
Uh, but I did do I did do Greece when I was in grade eight. I got to play Sandy in Greece, the height of my theatrical career. <laughs> really. And you, John Lord, anything I in high school? I didn't do any or? theater in high school because there really wasn't arts in high school. So I did it mostly before high school, and then it, you know I moved around a lot. So I moved to uh, upstate New York for high school, and there was no real arts curriculum there. So I did one play my did senior year. Did you know year. you could sing, though? I mean, you were singing somewhere. Um, sort of by myself. Um, in your bedroom, as a little kid, I did. But in high school, <laughs> I, did, I, I did sports and was at student government and stuff. And I did one play my senior year. I played Jack in Brighton Beach Memoirs, The Father. Uh, with the with, <laughs> no, with you know, shoe school. polish in my hair, oh. um, in a bathrobe, you know. <laughs> oh my God! Well, how, old, <laughs> how old were you when you knew you wanted to do this, Allison? What age did you say this is what I want to do? I don't. I, I knew I wanted to perform. Like I, I um, when I was really young, I was at the National Ballet School, and then I was in choir, and then I was just doing anything I could to be on stage. Um, but yeah, no. When I was when I was ten, I I just sort of realized <laughs> that that's that's what I wanted to do. And you all, you had the same experience. Well, how old were you when you said yeah. this? I want to be on stage. You know, I, I watched the Mary, Mary Martin, Peter Pan, and Mary Poppins <laughs> when I was little, and, and knew that there was something about that, and and went to go see shows when I was little. I, and I just always sort of wanted to do it. And I remember actually when I went to see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, my first Broadway show. I was in the trumpet trio at my elementary school. <coughs> and um, What does a trumpet trio entail? There's just three of us. I was the middle one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we played at events. Okay. And, uh, and my fifth grade teacher was like, at intermission of Beauty and the Beast, she was like, someday you are going to be down there in that pit playing the trumpet. And I had never done a play before, but I looked at her and I was like, no, I don't want to be in the pit. I want to be oh. on stage. It was just something that I connected with from the beginning and just sort of always knew that I wanted to do. So where, I'm curious about where the drive comes from, because be, between wanting to do something and then pushing your way through, do a little self-analysis. Where think, do you think this drive came from? I think just the, the love that you have. I mean, it's just something that's just so amazing about being on stage. And for me, it didn't really come together until high school. I knew I loved to do it. And you know, when you're little, your parents kind of push you and everything and see what you kind of mm. take to. And I'm not the sporty one, so no sports really worked out for Ashley. but. <laughs> You know, you just try to find what really, what you love to do and what you, how many things you sacrifice to be able to do this. And, you know, even though high school dances aren't like the be all end all, but there's a lot of those things that I missed so I could rehearse. And like, I love to practice and to be on stage and to be with people. And I think that's where it came for me is like, I'm still like that. I still love the rehearsal process. And I think it takes a certain individual to actually enjoy something like that. You know, a lot of people will be like, rehearsal, that's work. And, you know, but it's something that we love to do so much that the fact that we are able to make a career out of it it's just unbelievable, especially at our age. It's just, you know, it's still surreal to me that I'm in a Broadway show, much less this is my second Broadway show, and it's amazing. It's just, it's still very, like, I have to wake myself up sometimes. As far as, like, where the drive comes from, I think that for me it was the love turning into a sort of obsession with it mm -hmm. and wanting to do it at all times, no matter what it was or where it was. And, and I didn't have a lot of education and didn't take a lot of classes, but learned so much from experience and sort of on-the-job training. <clears throat> and I became so obsessed with doing a play everywhere, no matter where it was, because I was learning so much every time, every time I did a new thing. 
because I feel like that's where you learn the most is actually doing it. You can read. That's what makes our business so crazy is you can read so many books. You can take all the classes, mm. but actually the best tool is actually doing it. You know, it's really, that's where you, I feel like I'm obviously, you know, still growing and learning from all these people that I work with daily, which I feel so lucky to be able to do that as well. I don't really see it as a drive. I just don't know what else I could possibly do. Mm -hmm. So any sacrifice for it doesn't really necessarily feel like that. It's just something, it's a, it's a need. You know, it's, it's not a need, a, not a drive. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I just have to, I know I have to work because it's what I do, you know. John Lloyd, I think of it maybe it maybe needs a better word than drive because I just you have came up against some walls there and yet you continued to go in that same direction. I think Where does that need come from? It's seeking comfort, I think. It's seeking a place where you feel truly comfortable. Hmm. You know, I don't. Um, I'm actually. I never really wanted to do everything so much as I wanted to find the thing that I felt comfortable doing that, where sort of. Um, I filled in, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I, there's nothing, I could, I'm not any, I'm so unhappy if I feel like the auditions that I'm getting or whatever are things that I'm not very interested in, um, and I get really anxious about it. And then when I intersect with a role that I really like and, and feel, and feel um, happy with, um, then I'm, I feel like I've, I'm filled in. The rest of the time, I sort of feel like I'm a ghost a little bit, you know? Um, seeking, seeking that, uh, that thing that I, I want to be doing. You went to college. You went to Brown. Uh-huh. So did you study acting there? Yeah. I did. I studied. It was a liberal arts school, so I studied sort of everything. I even took a year and studied in Spain and didn't study theater at all, just art history and history and Spanish and... You know, um, is that useful? Do you um, find that kind of education useful? Because some of you had this, and some of you went right to work. <laughs> yeah. I found that college was a place for me to sort of um, become a person and figure out who I was, mm -hmm. and um, and that uh, again, when when I find a role that intersects with that, the interesting parts of who I am, then that's probably expressed more fully because I had that time to explore mm -hmm. who that was mm -hmm. and figure out who that was. Um, and because it didn't focus so much on th the craft of acting and said, learned from the people I was around, mm -hmm. um, I think that, that that's helped me sort of understand certain subtleties that maybe I, I would miss. Did any of you have teachers that were important to you, Allison? Did you have a teacher that really no, I'm, I mean, I, um, I never trained um, formally. Hmm. Um, I didn't really have time. I mean, I, I trained working. formally <laughs> when it's I was working. playing This is on-the-job training. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's but I do think that uh, one essential of being an actor is just reading, um, reading everything, reading plays and books. And um, I think there's so much that can be <coughs> brought um, I think you were talking about the, the subtleties and being able to study human behavior mm -hmm. in itself. And, and, um, and their great novels are perfect for trying to figure out human behavior and mm -hmm. desires. And that's what we're trying to figure out every night. And observing, too, observing people, too. You know, there were certain points when I was wor wasn't working as an actor where I'd just go out to New York with my journal and just watch people and kind of, like, imagine what they were thinking and mm -hmm. doing, you know? And you can 
do that as a theater actor because you're relatively anonymous. Only a thousand people or so see you a night. You know, I'm not on TV. I'm, I'm, on, st I'm on stage. So I can still do that to an, to an extent. Um, so reading books and what, whatever, I've always been fascinated with people and wh what makes them do what they do and why Actually, they are the way they the are. New York is the best place to watch <laughs> people. <laughs> to watch yeah. people. Oh my gosh. You just Maybe go to Penn Station and watch yeah. people come into the train. Asha, you went to uh, the Cincinnati mm -hmm. Conservatory of Music, so you had a what classical training? Yeah, there. I mean, I, I was I got a BFA in musical theater, okay. and I felt for me it was just really important because I come from a small town. Nobody in my family's in theater. I didn't really know what I was getting into other than I knew I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I've always just been kind of set, like I will be moving to New York and <laughs> I will do this regardless of what I have to do to get there. I mean, obviously not take people down. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> wow. Because I didn't mean it like that. Wow. We've heard about actors. We know. My mind was made up. You know, that this was what I love to do. And for me, I had a lot of growing up to do. Because yeah. I came from, a, I was very, you know, the Southern Belle. And, and I just feel like if I moved, for me, if I would have moved to New York after high school, I wouldn't be able to, hand, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. so there is a lot of rejection, and I know people think that I've gotten every role that I've auditioned for, and it's just untrue, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I think just being able to pick yourself back up is something I had to learn, and to know that if you don't get a role, it's not because you're untalented or, you know, it's just there's a lot of things that go into you landing something, landing a role. And so I feel for me college was really important. You know, just if, like you said, like figuring out yourself. I came across a great voice teacher in Pensacola, Florida, who I still mm -hmm. take from. Mm -hmm. And her name's Deborah Ross. And, you know, she put me in all the contests I trained classically. And she just, you know, always kind of pushed me along. And then I came across really great people who said you should go to Cincinnati. I mean, I didn't know where I was supposed to go to school. I didn't know. I and mean, I'm like, where do, where do I go to theater school? You know, I don't know. And so I just came across really great people who gave me some really mm -hmm. great advice. And, you know, college was hard. It was a really, like, a big turning point for me in learning. Like, there were days when I was like, gosh, I don't know if I can do this. But I just had to pick myself up, and I was so much stronger, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that I've gotten through a lot of bad things, and I wasn't always cast, and I wasn't always the star. And I think that was good that I wasn't always, you know, up front, because I think it's good to be a team player and to know what it's like to not be the star. I think you have a lot more... Um, feelings towards people, you know, and a sense of group, you know, when you've been in the back. Because everybody's like, you probably growing up, you're probably always in the front. I'm like, there were times when my face was about this much on the curtain, you know, with a big choir, you know, like, this is all you got. And um, so I think it's a very humbling thing, so I just kind of took it a step at a time and came across good people. And Jonathan, was there a teacher that you remember that helped with voice or acting? You know, it, it <clears throat> it's interesting to think back to like the most, there was my eighth grade teacher, my eighth grade drama teacher, Mrs. Fisher, who said, you know, you have something and that was like where it started. Mm -hmm. But then as far as like beyond that, when I think back to the teachers that most influenced me, it was my math teacher in high school mm -hmm. and my English teacher in high school. We read a lot of books in English and, and those ideas and things that you think about and <clears throat> the discipline because I didn't like math that much. <laughs> But the discipline of getting down and doing the work, no matter what, like things that I learned from them <clears throat> were really, really important. Mm -hmm. Did you get an agent early? I didn't, no. I, I really wanted, when I was a senior in high school, I was, I, I was a really good student and I, you know, was one of those kids that did everything, you know, as, by the books and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, okay, my junior year I started like researching colleges and I read the do's and don'ts on the Cincinnati Conservatory <laughs> internet list and like I knew everything like what I was supposed to do and, and 
had planned out all my college auditions, and I was going to go there for four years, and then I was going to move to New York. You know, I had it all sort of planned out. And then um, my senior year, I auditioned in the city, for the, seriously for the purpose of getting ready for my college auditions, because you can't really audition that much in Lancaster, PA. <laughs> so I auditioned <laughs> for this tour of The Sound of Music, and I got it. And I, and I was like, oh, I don't know. This is messing up my plan. I was supposed to go to college for four years, but I can't deny this so opportunity to see the country and do you know a you know, long run of a show, which I'd never done before. And so I decided to go on tour and defer college for a year. And then when we rehearsed for the tour, we were in New York for two weeks. And I'd visited here on bus trips, but I'd never really lived here before. And from the moment that I got to the city, something in in the city, I was taking dance classes, I was going to rehearsal, I was seeing shows, I was going, we're taking runs in Central Park, and there was like something about this city that was, I could feel myself growing every second of the day. There was so many people, and it wasn't just Amish, you know, it was something different. <laughs> and, and, uh, it is something that is noticed about New York a lot. Yeah. It's not, not just Amish. Amish. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's more than that. There's we're more than that. that. <laughs> But it was, it's sort of like, it's, and, and I found that as like an artist too, like as a performer, mm -hmm. you sort of have to go, at least for me, I understand that the comfort, like finding comfort and finding something that you sort of connect with, but also finding the discomfort and mm -hmm. finding the scary thing to do. And the safe thing would have been to go to college because that was what was right. And, and I did this tour for the year and I was still supposed to go to college. But for whatever reason, I felt this, connection to New York and this connection to the city and I w didn't want to leave to go on the tour because I love living here so much so after the tour was over I was like I people thought I was crazy they were like you have to go to you know I was gonna go to Carnegie Mellon it's such a great school everybody leaves with an agent you get great training and I was like no there's something about that city that those two weeks that I spent there my, my, my there's something in here like in my gut that's telling me that I am gonna grow the most from sort of leaping off and going there and waiting tables and struggling as opposed to going to school for this time. So I just moved to the city after that tour and waited tables for nine months and found an acting teacher and a voice teacher and, and sort of like pieced together my own version of a college education. Mm -hmm. I felt the same sort of thing. I was, um, I was as like, crazy overachieving student girl like <laughs> everything had to be right like 95 isn't enough you know like really like sick and I really wanted to go to Oxford it was the only school I wanted to go to um, and I interviewed there and I got my rejection letter and I had just I had done a play in New York off off Broadway and so I'd, I'd lived here for two and a half months, my last year of high school. And so I'd been doing chemistry in the main reading room at the big library and like trying to figure out, like, I was like, I don't know calculus, man. This is crazy. <laughs> and then go off and do my play at night. And so it was, it was a little wild. And then, and then I, the, you know, the following year, I, was, I had total plans to go to college and, you know, get myself an education. And, and uh, I got rejected from Oxford, and then I, I went upstairs to my room for five minutes, and I was just like, okay. Came back downstairs, and I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm moving to New York. Oh. <laughs> wow. And within a month, I, I came down, found roommates on Craigslist, like came down, stayed in this crazy hostel, 
which was like Barton Fink. I seriously <laughs> felt like I was a Barton Fink. And there were like cigarette burns on the blanket and the, you know, a sink in the corner of the room and a shared what? toilet in the hallway. Oh it was insane. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. this is what I'm signing up for. Okay. This is my hostel. And I found two great roommates in the East Village. And um, within, within a week of having moved here, I... Uh, Two plainclothes cops came to my door and were like, do you know anything about the brothel? <laughs> a couple doors down, and I was like, um, no, but I'll let you know if I find anything out. <laughs> Thank you. Would you like, guys, like some lemonade or something? I was like, hey, now I'm moving to New York, and this is what I've signed on for. <laughs> that's, yeah, so, but, I, but it was just because I loved it, like walking through Tompkins Square to get to the subway. I was like, oh. There's nothing, there's nothing better mm -hmm. than the energy that this city gives you. Walking around, you know, even as much as I hate it, Times Square, trying to get through all those uh, people. Yes. Yeah. Um, but even still, there's something that just fires things up in everybody that, that, that lives here. I think it's so worthy. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about auditions a little bit. How many, how many times <laughs> did you have to audition for Jersey yeah. Boys, for example? I auditioned for it before it, uh, they went and built it in La Jolla, California, and I didn't get it. Um, uh, mostly because I wasn't ready to get it. I'm not a very good auditioner. I um, it. I wish I were, but it just feels like, but I grew up Catholic, and it feels like a test, and like the auditioners turn into nuns, you know. It's, like, <laughs> you know, it's just, true. It's, it's really nerve-wracking. I, I like uh, to just, in, you know, if someone invites me to do a reading and then you know and I'm doing it and I don't have to audition I, I'm much more free well, because I've been invited to work then? I mean they well, found I, you somehow I auditioned for that and it's, you know it's obviously a very specific and difficult role you play Frankie and Valley and you, you have, have that to look incredible like Frankie and all of that setto. stuff so I knew that when uh, I went away and did it for a year because it didn't come to Broadway until a year later and uh, I was an understudy in a play at the paper mill playhouse and mm -hmm. just watching from the wings and um, I read on playbill.com or something that it was coming to New York and without the Frankie Valley the guy who played Frankie Valley so I just knew that they would go back to the drawing board and that I'd be in auditions again uh, because I had had a good audition before I mean that that La Jolla production Des McEnuff our director yeah. said don't take any other jobs without calling us first so I was like oh I think I got this and then I didn't you know uh, but I remembered that he said that then so uh, they made me audition five or six times more I was just exhausted because it was like I, you're not convinced yet or, or, I don't even know if I want it anymore you know, you know that fifth or sixth time I was just like oh god and then they put me in a room with the choreographer and I can't dance oh and I was like well now I'm certainly not getting it so I called you know my family and I was like I'm you know despondent about it I'm, I'm not gonna get it and then I got a phone call that I did <laughs> and then you won a Tony for it right well, well yeah but not the, you know not the next day no. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's nerve-wracking and sometimes even more nerve-wracking when you are getting close to something because then you could still not get it. And like Ashley was saying, you don't get everything you audition for and, it's, and the rejection isn't necessarily personal, although you're the person rejected. <laughs> it's, it's more that um, it took a long time for me to stop resenting that, that certain offices would never call me in for something or whatever, or to get mad at people because when they, when they 
when they don't give you the job, then you're thrust back out into your waitering job or whatever. You're like, don't you realize that when you don't cast me, my life sucks? You know? <laughs> but, uh, but, um, you know, but then it took me a long time to realize that uh, it's not, no, no doesn't mean not now, or uh, no doesn't mean never, it means not now. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to keep, keep stepping up to the plate. I still struggle with that. I don't know. But how many You'll times did you audition do to do um, Mary Poppins? Nine I mean, times. Nine times. Nine, nine times over a wow. period of four months. And <gasps> I had done a tour of, of on the record with Disney that I got right out of school. And then I was playing Belle at the time. And they were putting up Tarzan at the same time. So there, I auditioned. My first audition was about in January. And I auditioned about three times. And going back, and I was so nervous, and I was so bad. Because there's that thing where I worked for Disney, but yet this is Cameron Macintosh too, so I had a lot of people, and they weren't just going to give it to me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I do a, it's just a very different than the stuff that I have to do, a lot more things that I have to do as Mary Poppins and as Belle or on the tour. And so I auditioned so many times, and I, you know, there's that expectation, because they have seen me do things, and there's that expectation to fill and yet surpass. Mm-hmm. And so I put so much pressure on myself, and I was like, you know what, Ashley, it's not like your life sucks. You're on Broadway, you're playing Belle. You know, you've been in New York for two months, you know, like, give it a rest. You know, you're fine. Trying to, like, pump yourself <laughs> up. But then I kind of took a break, and then I went back um, for my last six times in one week. And I had sprained my ankle in Beauty and the Beast. My foot got stuck in a track, and I fell. Yeah, oh that was God. graceful. <laughs> I felt really great in front of 1,500 people <laughs> the place planet. Oh, God. So I had to go to my physical therapist every morning. <laughs> I know, clumsy ash. So I had to get my ankle wrapped every morning and go, and I was auditioning from 11 a.m. to about 6 p.m. and running over and doing Beauty and the Beast at night. And, you know, and all these people, I mean, it's Tom Schumacher's head of Disney, Cameron McIntosh, Matthew Bourne, Stephen Meir, Richard Eyre, all these people. I'm like, could I just die now? Because it's just all these people are watching me. So I sang Practically Perfect probably a million times. I had to tap dance. I had to learn Jolly Holiday. I'm surprised they didn't make me fly without strings because (laughs) I'm telling you, I did. And it's like you said, it's exhausting. And and then you start really realizing how attached you are now and how involved you are and, like, how much I want this and not how much do I want it, but now I have a connection with her, with the character, Mm -hmm. and I know how let down I'm going to be if I don't get it. Because you put all this time and this energy and memorizing your sides and going in and having that adrenaline to be on top of it that they're teaching me the um, the dances in front of everybody. Like, I don't even get to get to another room to learn oh. it. So they're <laughs> seeing how fast I pick it up. Oh. You know, I'm dancing, I'm reading with, you know, everybody. And it was just, you know, having that adrenaline for so long on a sprained ankle and pretending like it didn't hurt. And everybody thinks of Julie Andrews. That's yeah. what I don't understand. How you yeah. could even have the it's, and that, courage and that's another to thing, as you know, it's just <laughs> that pressure that I just had to go in with a whole new thing. I'm like, yeah. she did it perfect. There's no redoing that, you know. And I tried to not copy her because I knew people would come in expecting that, mm-hmm. and so I kind of just brought my own thing mm-hmm. and just took a chance. And hopefully, like, it could be all wrong or it could be all right. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious, if you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. She's great. So it's hard. I don't know how you ever got the part in Lieutenant of Inishmore because you look like such a sweet... <laughs> Child, <laughs> and you play the <clears throat> most vicious, horrible person <laughs> in the probably the bloodiest play I've ever seen on the stage. I am. When you showed up to play this part, well, you see, I, I knew Martin McDonough. He had seen a play I'd done, and um, and I'd gone in once, 
like a year before it ever happened. And then I went in again when they were they switched to the Atlantic. It was originally going to be another company that was going to produce it. And then they ended up hiring the girl who had done it originally in uh, both Galway and then in London, London. Carrie Condon. Yes. Um, and then after all that, they they let me come in um, and do it. And I was so it was a it was a play that I wanted to do for like two years of just mm. I had to play this girl, <laughs> this awesome crazy girl. Um, and I hadn't seen the production, and I had I had some concept of what it was going to be like. But until I got did you get you guys? You guys still had the flies and the blood and the cracks by the time <laughs> yeah. you were there, didn't the you? Atlantic, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the blood. Like, why yeah, like why are there flies the everywhere? What is this sticky red like? And there's like the stain in the driveway from all of our food coloring blood. Before it was there. everywhere. Oh, oh my gosh, God. that was something. <laughs> well, I mean, now let's let's look deeply into your character here. How do you draw? from this nice, pleasant exterior, <laughs> this incredible thing that came out? I, uh, I have no idea. It's the magic of just stepping into somebody else's bones. Um, and I read a lot of Irish history, and, and, uh, and then just Martin McDonough's dialogue flows so beautifully. And once the accent came, it sort of came hand in hand with the dialogue, because it's written in, in such a dialect. And um, and then I just started getting angry about Irish history and getting really into it. <laughs> and then you know they handed me a gun and I had done this I had done this movie with guns so I I learned a lot about them and learned like yeah um, it's like this weird like jack of all trades thing you get as an actor like you're suddenly studying I know far too much about ammunition. <laughs> from this movie I did. And I know a lot about Irish terrorism. You know, and it's just like everything kind of came together and but it's just I love these characters that have so much anger. I mean, there's there's a real vicious anger to most people, I think, if you dig deep oh. enough. There's so many different ways that people deal with anger, either with, you know, shooting or coming back to get uh, some sort of closure or just trying to get out of you know the gutter. They're all so different. Um, and they're fun to play. I have no character. What I have is two tiny, tiny slips of paper, so small that they barely exist. And I'm going to take them, and I'm going to stab myself in the chest with a pair of really sharp scissors, and then I'm going to put those two tiny, tiny slips of paper inside my body. Jonathan, I read. You said something once that uh, was quoted that you have to look for what makes you angry. That's what you tried to find in yeah. that character you play in Spring Awakening. Yeah, Again, yeah. I was that goody two shoes in high school, oh. and so now you're playing the atheist rebel student in the classroom. And so it took a long time. It took a really long time for me to find that in myself. And God bless Michael Mayer for being so patient with me. But um, it's it sort of becomes that thing where. Everyone, I, what I've found, for me at least, is that everyone sort of has, knows what's right and wrong for them, mm -hmm. and has that desire when someone's being wrong to stand up and fight for it, but do we suppress that feeling or do we let it go? And mm -hmm. I'm such a yes person in my life, and was such a yes person as a student, and yes, okay, whatever you say, I'll do it, whatever you say, I'll do it. And through the process of finding that person who knows exactly what they believe and is so confident in it that they're willing to fight for it, 
really like was ended up being completely liberating at, uh, to do on stage eight times a week and then also in my own personal life I, it, it, it affected me off stage as well as on not that I became an angry atheist but <laughs> that I it, it forced me to start thinking for myself and, and forced me to start not always saying yes before I figured out what I personally believe in and it really helped me grow up as a human being as well which was you know, I think that's great when you have a play that does both of those things for you. Yeah. Well, mm. how do you find the anger within yourself? You said he helped this director helped you. Well, what would what would you do to help another person find their anger? I can. Michael's going to be mad at me for telling the story, <laughs> but I can tell you an exact moment. I was trying to find it. I was trying to find it. I was working really hard. I was getting frustrated that I couldn't find it. I was getting really frustrated. I kept thinking that I was doing it, and he'd be like, "No, he's very honest." No, you still suck. Is what you know. <laughs> no, it's still not good. No, it's bad. No, it's still bad. Ooh, it, which ooh. is why I love Michael Mayer because he always puts out the truth. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, him. one day in tech rehearsal, I don't even know if he remembers this, but one day in tech rehearsal, we were doing the beating scene, and I was so nervous because we we're about to start previews, and I we saw. We can just describe the beating scene so people oh, right. know what you have uh, to be. <laughs> We'd like to hear. In the play, yeah, in the play. Um, okay, we'll demonstrate. Right. <laughs> 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 beat her up. She's used no. to it. <laughs> she's beaten up at every play she's in. There's, the, there's this scene where, um, where Lee Michelle, who plays Vendla, she wants to feel her character. She doesn't feel anything. She wants to feel something, and her friend is beaten. And so she comes to me, Melchior, her like intellectual friend in the woods, and she says, I've, I've never really felt anything. Will you beat me with this stick? And he's like, no, I'm not going to beat you with a stick. And she's like, come on, beat me with a stick. And she's like, no, I'm not going to beat you with a stick. And she touches him. She's like, beat me with a stick. And he's like... Ugh. Okay, and then he goes for it, and so there's there was this thing, this thing where that's where my character really got set off, and I've been trying to find it, trying to find it, and again was getting so frustrated I couldn't couldn't quite get it, and then Michael just came up to me and looked at me like literally ran up on stage in front of the entire cast, the middle of tech rehearsal, whatever, and he was like. It is the middle of tech rehearsal and you still haven't gotten angry. Look me in the eye and tell me what makes you angry. And he's went on this like, this he's like yelling at me and I'm trying to I'm trying to make it happen. It's not like I'm not trying. And he's like, what makes you angry? What makes you angry? And I was like, you. <laughs> <laughs> when you belittle people, like I, it was like you're making me angry. And he like made me like. <laughs> and that I took sort of took that and ran with it, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's so much of the the pressure of the adults in our play and all that stuff. And I was using the way the, that experience I was having and the frustration of trying to find this thing and and throughout all of that. And then, you know, the opportunity of being able to run a show for two and a half months off Broadway and do it every day and really every day you're like. Oh, oh, it gets deeper and deeper, and you start mm -hmm. to figure it out more and more, and then all of the, the nuances and the details sort of came out. But and it was that one moment that I was like, fuck you. It's cable. It's cable. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, the people at Lancaster are not going to like that. That's okay. <laughs> Can we cut that? <laughs> Maybe. Let's go. Hey, 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 what can you do? <laughs> um, the, the part you're playing, the, the Frankie Valley. Part. I mean, the whole Jersey Boys <coughs> has a subtext that is not all fun and games. I mean, it's got a darker subtext. So you actually have to do some acting. No, you're not just singing in their lightweight things. Did you have any of this difficulty or any of this thing to find the, the really deeply serious side of no. these people? No. That was the easy part. That was me. the easy part. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, found it easy. you found anger easily. Yeah, I'm always, 
you know, my agents are always telling me, you need to do comedy. You need to do something, com get, smile, you know? <laughs> um, so I actually have a hard time playing light, lighter stuff um, uh, because I, I'm a darker person, <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think da down in the core. Um, so that part, that uh, evolution mm -hmm. for me in Jersey Boys is I savor it. Because he gets darker and darker as as the show goes on, as his life falls apart, you know. We're gonna pay back every penny Tommy owes you. What, oh, Frankie? Wait a minute. Let me handle this. It's a lousy few hundred grand. We got something going here. It took a lot of work and a lot of years. So, so the group takes the debt. This is his problem. Why do we take his debt? Because we're not gonna let it come apart. And also, even that first act, um, you know, because it's the story of the band, and and he wants to be a superstar and it's not happening there's an edge and the frustration there that it actually very reminiscent of an you know early years in new york struggling as an actor you know so all of those angers and those frustrations and that emotional kind of uh storminess is all is that i have as a regular person is right on the surface with mm -hmm. the character too and i carried into the songs too you know one of the things about the way this show is constructed is that, yes, the songs are, when you hear them on the radio, in their original context, some, you know, some of the, they have a sort of lighter nature, but they're also, um, they happen in our story in such a way that, you know, if, if someone has just left me and then suddenly I'm singing a song, um, I don't allow myself as an actor to then subtract or divorce or put it like a boundary in between what's just happened and then when I start to sing I let it spill over into mm -hmm. the song mm -hmm. um, so that there's always something frustrating or heartbreaking spilling over into all the singing and act two I get to do that um, with in an unfettered way I mean and, and um, it's just like uh, taking a bath in my own like you know, emotions in, in yeah. Act Two, which is gratifying because it's as Vanessa Redgrave called it. It's like Doctor Theater. You know, you go to, <laughs> you go to the theater and you let all that stuff out, and whatever's yeah. pent up during the day, you let it out. And I'm so happy, so happy, that the way that this show is constructed, because it is a catalog show, and I've seen other ones, that I can be an actor in it yes. and sort of let it all hang out and have my personal catharsis every night instead of being a cheerleader for some band that existed 60 years ago, you know, 40 years ago. Then how come you can sing like a girl? <laughs> <laughs> That's genetic. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. You have to ask a, doc a doctor that question. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's, what's funny what's Did you funny just were born that way well, with this thing, or you developed it? The, Frankie uh, has a similar story, except, you know, obviously he came first, um, that he thought everyone could sing in falsetto. And he didn't know that it was something special. And he, uh, the way that they discovered it and start, decided to start writing for it is he would put a kerchief on in his club act and sort of imitate Rose Murphy and these female singers just as a joke. And then they just started to start writing for that, for those notes wow. and push them up into lead vocal. Similarly, I never knew there would be a story about Frankie Valli and it was only sort of very kind of distantly aware of the Four Seasons, I mean, because their music is so in our culture. But when I was in college, 
I would go to karaoke with my friends, you know, on like Friday night, just and you know, get drunk, and I would sing Tina Turner songs in her original key <laughs> to make my friends laugh. Oh. I was doing the same thing Frankie Valli was doing a generation earlier, but with my generations, you know, with Tina Turner. And I didn't know that it was Is anything. Tina Turner, our generation. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we, really? Well, Rose Murphy predated him a little bit, but you know, those those are the songs that are on karaoke, the ones that right. are like ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. So I, so uh, it was just a party trick, and um, and I could do it, or I could sing along to Chicago, and you know, the the group, not the show, yeah. in, in in the car or whatever. But um, who could have ever guessed that they would be singing falsetto on Broadway? Maybe. Because you're naturally a baritone. Yeah, and so is Frankie. Oh, really? Okay. Just, I don't know, uh, I don't yeah. know the, the physics of it, but my voice teacher tells me that people who have a really strong high falsetto are actually have, are, are usually baritones, and it's because of the way the vocal cords are structured. I mean, they can resonate at, mm -hmm. they're longer, so they can resonate at a lower frequency and a higher frequency, just like a guitar string. If you cut it off, you can get a really high note. You know, oh. and and so there's more of a range because your vocal cords are longer. That's how she's explained it to me. When you came, Jonathan, to sing and started rehearsal, did you know everything about singing that you needed to know? I or? had taken a you know a couple of voice lessons, but again, it was uh, one of those things where I went to my first audition for Spring Awakening, and our amazing music director Kim Grigsby, who also can be scary like Michael Mayer. Um, <laughs> I sang at my audition, my first audition, it was just the two of us, it was just a music work session, and I finished singing the first song, and she looked at me from behind the piano, and she was like, if you want to get this, you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, okay, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but immediately, like, I was determined, I was determined. And uh, she hooked me up with a voice teacher, and, you know, we had three months after I was cast before we started rehearsals for Off-Broadway. And so you were cast without being able to really sing she, in a part the, the that's going to have some singing? Yeah, well, the thing about our show specifically is that yes. they look for, uh, obviously, young people yeah. with raw, something raw, something unique and something raw. And then <coughs> if they find someone that they feel like they can develop, they will develop them. And, uh, okay. and so she saw something. She knew that I could do it with some work and uh, was willing... You know, if I was willing to put in the time, they were willing to put in the time, and we worked, I worked, you know, found a voice teacher, and I've been working really hard ever since. I mean, I sang, I did the tour of The Sound of Music, but yes, yes. I never really sang, I've never really sang like this or had any really formal training, so. And this is rock, so that's a little rock and roll. It's so like, it's, a little it's like different. folky, rocky okay. sort of a thing. Thing, Duncan Sheik sort of a thing. It's a It's loud. Right. It's very loud. <laughs> we know that. And so it, you know, we it, it, again the on-the-job sort of training. But again, another one of those things where it's the discomfort in the end that for me makes it in the end worthwhile. The thing that you're like, I don't really know if I can do this, but here I go, and you sort of put yourself out there. And whether you fail or succeed, end up learning the most and, and coming out often the better.
as your voice and your bodies are your instruments, what do you do to keep it in tune? For instance, you have a lot of yelling and screaming yeah. and emotional vocal um, things. What this do you is have the first time, knock on wood, that I haven't lost my voice in the last two shows. Mm. Um, in Ishmore, I was constantly on the edge. Um, and our lead, by the end, had such uh, notes that he wasn't doing matinees. Um, oh. Yeah. So what and do you it, do? It, it's just, and, then, and then I had to do uh, steroids during Blackbird, during previews. And then, but this one, I've started to warm up. Like, oh. if I was about to do an opera, I've been doing the biggest vocal warm-up ever. And doing yoga, and then breathing and then doing my steaming and drinking my throat coat and having my throat coat pastilles and then having honey and then doing all this. And literally if anybody in my cast has an issue, I'm like, come upstairs. Would you like some misnets? <laughs> you can use my steamer if you want. <laughs> so you, know. you have to do a lot. I don't suppose you go out to discos at night after the show and uh, no, hang out. No, we do no. karaoke. We've <laughs> <laughs> gotten into the standard section of our rogue book. And just you're doing like Lullaby of Broadway, and you know I'll be seeing you, and you know just like it's it's fun and it's great, and it's one way where you're not shouting at a bar or you're locked in a room, and it's a way you can go out and be social during a show when you're not like oh. And it's definitely more disciplined than I ever imagined. You know, doing eight shows a week. I mean, in college, you know, we would rehearse for three months and do four shows and be it. But for me, it's just, I was just so surprised about how, you know, disciplined it is and how, you know, we live for our work. Like, we mm -hmm. have to, every day I wake up and I go, mm -hmm, how is she today? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and That's you can tell, you know, you know, you're, you get to know your voice so well and you know how it's going to be. And you kind of have to pace yourself because you have the weekend shows and you have to drink a lot of water, get so a lot of rest. So what do you rest. do? You drink lots of water? Yeah. Do you do I hot do, yoga? Or, uh, or no, <laughs> I do, you know, Pilates when I get Pilates. ready, but I do throat coat. I do Grither's Pastilles as little glycerin yeah, drops. Those. I have entertainer's secret that my dresser carries around just because our theater's so dry. Yeah. And it just moistens everything. You can you spray time. your nose, too. Really? Uh-huh. And what is, what is it? What is it? It's got glycerin and it's, it's formulated by a voice doctor and it totally lubricates and because moisturizes. It's so hard to not go off stage mm -hmm. and you know, 45 minutes of yelling and screaming about like, give me my stamps <laughs> and no water. <laughs> That's actually what I do. That's you haven't seen the show. Yeah, no, you have to give me no, um, it's the best. It be, I live oh, for wow. it. I get it by oh, the bulk, good. and it's just... Okay. You need to just send her a bottle over at Mauritius. I will. Oh. You'll be a present for me, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you hurry. Oh, this is from MP. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do, Jonathan? Do you do some special exercises or I, you know, meditation? The thing that I, that I found for me is that it's different. Every day it's different. I haven't gotten to a place yet where I've, you know, we've been doing this show for a year. Every now and then I'll be like, oh, this is what's happening. But it's like, one day you, you can't breathe out the side of your nose, <laughs> yeah. or like, one day your throat is sore, or one day, you know, and you learn tricks of the trade as you go along. Like yesterday, I was stressed out for whatever reason during the day, and uh, I just took a bath before the show. I was like, you know what, I think I need to just take a bath. And I did, and it made me feel so much better. It cleared my head. I go running in the park. I do the Bikram yoga as well. Hot yoga. But do you do those tongue exercises where you pull your tongue out of your mouth? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't. That's a Jersey Boys thing. You have to do that one? Because aren't there sing exercises that singers do with their tongues? Yeah, a lot of opera training starts with pulling your tongue. 
You have to use a paper towel, though, or else they'll slip, slip. out of your hand. <laughs> like when you're at the dentist. You know? so, oh, the whole cast? You're right. You, you feel different every day. And when you're doing a show for so long, um, you develop a technique to sort of get through. And to, to, if you have to yell, then you, you know what you have to do to yell that day because you've been through it maybe six months ago. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm not breathing well today, but I'll get the sound this way. It's a constant process. Yeah. And, and I feel like you start learning to like give yourself a break. Like for me, like I would have a, you know, make a crack or have a phlegm ball or whatever. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you're like, you know what, I'm human. It kind of reminds me yeah. you're human again. And yeah. you have to give it up because, you know, the show has to go on. And these people, you know, but you want to be like, I do this eight times a week. I just want to let you all know. I have a cold today. Right. But and you, you look, know, you if still you look out that. there, you know, which we do a lot in Jersey Boys because we're singing to them, mm -hmm. they don't wince. You know, it's not like they're like, Ooh, he cracked, you know? They just, they just keep they watching. Do. Yeah. Oh, do it. <laughs> I've never seen anyone wince. Yeah, but you know, sometimes, you know, I think it's endearing for them to see, you know, that's why people go to live theater, to see how people recover. And yeah. I think it depends on how you do it. You know, I mean, it's probably not always our favorite thing to have happen because it's embarrassing and you're all of a sudden extremely vulnerable, especially being Mary Poppins and singing Practically Perfect. I have to say, I'm Practically Perfect. Right. I don't want to be like, I'm really practically today, you know, <laughs> as underlined. You know, but sometimes you just got to have to give yourself a break. And I've really come to that point because last year at this time, like, I'm, I can be somewhat of a perfectionist about myself and, you know, my performing. I just am always like, sometimes my director is like, Ashley, you can bring it down. You know, you're giving, I'd be about 150% right now. You know, but that's you know. I'm like, well, I'd rather get more than less. You know, whatever. But you know, so it's just funny. You know, it's just the, the things you learn about yourself, and you know, it's good to be reminded you're human. And well, what's the worst thing that's happened? I mean, did you ever have a gun not go off? You who were so accustomed to guns. Yeah. <laughs> you had really? Yeah. You went literally like, uh, you know, there's the there's I'm about to kiss my lover, and I'm kissing him, and I'm getting the guns out, and I'm sneaking behind his back, and he's still singing, and. <laughs> then cocking the guns and click. Oh, I'm gosh. like, it's the worst. <laughs> like going, like cocking them again, <laughs> and then like, bang. You know, it's just, it's just horrifying. And he's like, uh, what was that parade? Uh, here, let me try again. And he's like about to start singing the song again. Like, there's a few things that I have to, you know, I'm magical, you know. So I'm, you know, you pulling tables up and, sense. you know, put tables back up and talk to birds and things. And it's just really, you can, it's amazing how unmagical you can feel in a split second. Because it obviously, you know, you're dealing with, you're having to deal with a lot of people. And if people's headsets come down or if, you know, things aren't working, it's like, I find myself, I'm a crazy person because there's been times in the kitchen where I, you know, I put back up the kitchen during a spoonful of sugar and it doesn't go up. And I'm like talking to the I'm like, I'll deal with you later. Um, oh, we'll have a talk, won't we? I'm like, I'm like, am I really talking to a plate like this? Yeah. Like, it's amazing what comes out of your mouth. You know, you're just so thankful it's not a cuss word because, you know, you're so just like on adrenaline and just ad-libbing. And I'm like, I was definitely having more conversations than normal with uh, furniture. Right. But it's, you, you know, ever just laugh? Happens. Do you ever I just do. like... I, last night, I literally just went like, <laughs> <laughs> there are just some moments when it just needs to come out because something's gone horribly awry, and yeah. literally, every time I've tried to hold in a laugh, it's always gone on longer than it should, yes. because I'm You're just right. like, you just, just let, let it out. out. If, it's just, if it's just a moment of complete, unabashed, <laughs> excuse me, for a moment, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> let me just get it out.
<laughs> and then come back to it, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. That's because so it's bad. that decision you have to make. You're like, is it make me a bad actor? Because obviously this has happened. Yes, so yeah. I, obviously the house is run over a child. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> obviously something has gone wrong. Like I'm upside down in front of an audience on wires. Obviously this is wrong. Do I comment on it or do I let it go? Like, which makes me the better actor? You know, it's like those decisions you have to make. Yeah. Like, do we pretend like that didn't happen or that it did happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, now you've all four had a you know, wonderful success with the plays you're in. Is there something that you're looking forward to doing? Do you, do you, is there a part you've read somewhere or thought of, for instance, with your dark side there? <laughs> is there I just kind of know. know when I read it that I'm like, oh, this, I'm interested in this. But do you know what you're, do you, is, do you have a role somewhere that you would like to play? I've never I've never behaved that way or thought that way. Oh, okay, so there's you not know, something. I, there are great roles, but I've actually, you know, because it took a while for me to get a Broadway show, I was doing a lot of stuff that was under the radar and a lot of new things, oh. and I was used to having the playwright in the room and getting rewrites and all that kind of stuff. So I'm actually still interested in new plays oh. and, uh, and new roles. And and I don't know what those are because they don't. It's if it's Chekhov, it's not new, you know. Right, so right, right. I would be, I'd love to do Chekhov someday, but I actually am kind of used to doing new things, and I want to continue to do that. And I really am excited by the possibility of finding the thing that it, you know, the new thing. Like I've, Jersey, actually, or sometimes it finds you. Jersey Boys found me, oh, um, that's a good point. and I, and that's kind of exciting when that happens. Is there some role that you've, you do so much reading, that you've read, that um, you, in your mind, would well like one day? I would love day? to do something classical at some point. I mean, I've, I, I'd, I've been lucky enough to be able to work on plays with the playwright in the room, and just, um, there's something really spectacular about that, and about having somebody, like a live person, that you can talk to about why they wrote this crazy, mm -hmm. like talking to David Harrower about Blackbird, you know, just horrifying play like why would you write this why um, but I would love to do <laughs> but I would love to do Shakespeare I would love to do um, I would I can't wait for that opportunity I think that I have I have three things that for the next thing because people ask us this all the time mm -hmm. on our show what we want to do after it's got to be a something that's completely different than Spring Awakening <clears throat> B something where I respect and admire and would learn things from the people that I'm surrounded by. Just because with Spring Awakening, I've learned, because I didn't go to college, I've learned so much about myself and the business and the theater from Michael Mayer and Kim Grigsby and Bill T. Jones and all of these great people. A, B, and then C would be something that's horrifying, something that, something that I'm scared of, because that's really what the thing that has made me grow the most has been jumping into the complete unknown. So I don't know what it would be next, but it has to have those three qualities. I would really like to do something where I was able to let out something because I feel my biggest struggle in Mary Poppins is she has to be unaffected by everything. But I think I'm just ready to maybe be angry and be because I am like a happy person, you know, but I would love to make that next step in finding a deeper role and to find, not a deeper role because I feel like Mary Poppins is extremely deep, but I think that's been my biggest struggle is I cannot take my daily things into mm. this show. 
and not that that it's a but it is kind of you it's know nice. therapeutic in a way to let that totally out and I can't yeah. Yeah. ever because she can't show that she's phased by things and that's what me and the director really struggled with is because I'm such uh, you can my face is a book like I'm affected by people on my emotions and you know people hurt my feelings and I let them know about it and and you know and that's been the biggest struggle with Mary Poppins is to be unaffected and I'm ready to be able to be affected on stage and to show that I can do other things other than Disney and not that Disney and mm. is all in the same but in a way you know I feel like I am known as the Disney girl <laughs> you know which is a great thing you know it's wonderful I love it and I love the people I work for and that day that comes that I break from Disney is gonna be extremely emotional because I've gotten so close with them and I have been so happy and fulfilled but I think I would definitely go for something very different well, I look forward to seeing you all. I look forward to seeing you very angry somewhere <laughs> on stage. Very scared. Very, very, some <laughs> terrifying things. Terrified in a horrifying Alice play. is going to be in Shakespeare. <laughs> John Lloyd's going to be in Chekhov. And I'm waiting for that day. This was so nice. Thank you Wonderful. so much. I really thank enjoyed you. it. I learned you. a lot. And thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Pia Lindstrom. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org.